Well, welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas that you can use today to always take your leadership to the next level. We're now exclusively a part of the SEU Podcast Network. I'm your host, Kent Engel, president of Southeastern University. Excited today to introduce our co-host for today's show, Pastor Sam Rodriguez. Sam is author, uh, civil rights activist, movie producer, pastor. I mean, you've done it about, you've done everything. And uh, you are now, you've been named among the top 100 Christian leaders in America, uh, nominated as one of the 100 most influential people in the world, currently serves as the president of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, as well as senior pastor of New Season Christian Worship Center in Sacramento, California. It's an honor to have you on the show today. Honored to be here and all by the grace of God. Amen. Honored to be with you, my friend. Well, on today's podcast, I want to I, I want us to talk a little bit about diversity in leadership. And and really, this is a discussion that is that is near and dear, not only to my heart, but of course, uh, to the heart of many leaders throughout the world. We are learning more and more about diversity as society continues to um, change and transform. Uh, because of this change, we need to be innovative in how we can discover solutions to the issues that are being raised. And I, I, you know, I never want us to be uh, leaders who are attached to the past. Um, and, and we don't have an awareness of what's happening in the present so we can walk into the future. So I'm thrilled about this conversation. And as we jump into this episode, I, I want to start off by talking about your leadership experiences in this diverse world. You serve as the president of the National Hispanic uh, Christian Leadership Conference, which is the world's largest Hispanic Christian organization with, I believe, more than 42,000 churches in, in the network. In the U.S. and then others in the Spanish diaspora, yes. Can you talk to uh, to our listeners about how you stepped into this leadership role and the change that you uh, have seen come about because of, of your role? About 20 years ago, I was recruited by, here's terms that I would engage, my spiritual father, Jesse Miranda. Yes. And Jesse uh, just trained me, uh, just equipped me through a very rigorous mentoring process, passed the baton close to 20 years ago, said, Sam, I want you to flip the script on this and feel free to give it a new name, new incorporation documents with my blessing. You, you inherit the legacy. So I'm there uh, until, I, until the Lord calls me home, which he did uh, early last year. Um, and that's how I came in. Even the diversity within the Latino community, it's not a monolithic group. Mm. Now, I, for the audience, we're not a race, we're an ethnicity. Sure. So you have black Latinos, white Latinos, we have brown Latinos, you have Puerto Rican Latinos, Mexican Latinos, Dominican uh, Republic, et cetera, et cetera. There's diversity in the Latino community. And so it took a, an incredible amount of time and work and effort and resilience to bring the network together. And by the grace of God, here we are, uh, close to 20 years later, with just this viable, thriving, community of Christ followers that are committed to really serving as a reconciliatory prescription for a very divided nation and world. Yeah. Now, let me ask you, what, you look at, at, at um, this network and you look at the, the diversity in the Latino community, what, what does leadership mean to them? How, how would they describe leadership uh, in that diversity? Leadership means three things. Leadership means individuals, communities, groups, settings, technologies, uh, innovations that inspire, inform, and impart. Do three things. Inspiration, information, impartation. When, when Latinos look at leadership, what are you looking for? 
inspiration. You want to speak, you want to look at individuals or mechanism systems, institutions that speak to the heart, the nefesh, that inspire you to go beyond yourself. There's an information component. Um, Hispanics and Latinos are committed to broadening the cognitive bandwidth and intellectually speaking, stimulate a thought process that will take you from your now to your next. So it's inspiration, information, and then there's another element, which I don't think it's unique to us, but we are enamored to the idea of constant impartation. What do you have, now speaking now within, you know, the biblical, ecclesiastical, uh, the lexicon of the church, what do you have from heaven that I can somehow partake from or share with and receive from you that will change my trajectory, the mantle from Elijah to Elisha, that's sort of a metaphorical application. So it's inspiration, information, impartation. Latinos look for leadership that inspire, that inform, and that impart. So how... how how does the network help to build these things? And so, so build inspiration, build information, build information. How do you do that? You, you look for you look for recruit an individual system's best ideas. So we, there's an innovative, creative genome embedded in every community, of course, in every human being. We're designed by our creator uh, in the image of God. So we have that creative inclination. But we likewise look for those that have already created. And how can we better? How can we improve upon an idea that already exists without having to reinvent the wheel? So we're committed to inventing a new wheel, but we're likewise committed to reinventing wheels that are already out there and improving them and taking them to the next level. So we do that by intentional analysis, recruitment, heavy on the research. I think it's a beautiful thing how our blessed community right now is not just vertically committed to a spiritual growth, but horizontally committed to the to great high levels of academic rigor and growing in institutions. So we do that by looking, again, systems, research, individuals, organizations, communities, uh, platforms, agendas, that inspire, inform, and impart. The, another way of applying it would be the heart, the head, and the hand. Yeah. So it's inspiration is the heart, information is the head, and impartation is the hand, the practical application of the knowledge that you are receiving. So we're doing that, and we're right now I am blessed to see we have chapters across America and Latin America, all over Latin America, where we're training individuals in certain areas. So we know those that are inspired. We know the informative well, and we're privy to those that are committed to impartation. Sure. So we create infrastructure around these three key groups. What are some of the things that the network is, is um, currently researching as it relates to leadership development in, in the Latino community? We're looking at commitment to, to the academy. Okay. We're looking at graduation rates at a different level. We're, we're looking a lot, but 90% of our research right now is focusing on millennial generation Z. There, not because there's, a, there's an angst, but, but there is a viable level of angst and consternation regarding the emerging generations as it pertains to long-term viable commitment to our Christian faith. Because of that, Latinos are not immune from moral relativism, from cultural decadence. Sure. We're not immune from that. So the idea that, but there's a Latino church and it's pristine and it's perfect, yeah, that's, yeah. that's not accurate whatsoever. We are suffering this sort of anxiety attacks as it pertains to the next generation and viable transference of leadership. That's where our focus and our research right now is aiming towards. 
And what's the commitment? What's, what is the worldview, if any, of this emerging generation? And how can we incorporate the inspirational, informational, impartation components to reach that generation in a way where we have a viable transference of the Lord tarries from generation to generation? That's our commitment right now. And it includes the academy. Where, do they, where are they educated? What are they learning? We're doing things about charter schools right now. Mm. Is the next thing for the Latino community in America and a way to reach our community an explosion of charter schools that have a faith ethos, but not necessarily Christian schools as an alternative. So because of, in the past few years, the legalization, uh, for lack of a better phrase, of charter schools in primarily urban centers, uh, we're looking at that as a conduit by which we can reach the next generation, equip them, not just to survive, but to thrive. Yeah. Uh, what What is different about how, and I love this this generation transition, transformation. How What is different about how Latinos are approaching the generation uh, transition because it sounds like it's pretty unique. Uh, so, so what's what makes it different? The, the, the familia. It's a concept of la familia. Uh, la familia yeah. it's embedded within our cultural genome. It's who we are. It's in our mitochondria. So, and, and it's just not speaking disparagingly about other communities, but in the Latino community, you'd be hard pressed to see grandma, granddad, God forbid, mom and dad in in a senior retirement home setting. Mm. And it's not that that's a negative thing. It's that in the Latino community, we, what do you mean? No, 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 they stay here with us. If they reach an age where they can no longer take care of themselves, God forbid that, they're, yeah. they're put, that they are somewhere else, they stay home. It's this familia component. And it's this commitment to a multi-generational Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph sort of presentation. Yeah. So, yeah, we are La Familia people. We are La Familia community. Because of that, there's always conversation about the next. Yeah. There's a constant conversation. What am I going to leave the next? And I mean spiritually. What's the inheritance? Yes. What's the legacy? And there's obsession. Even when you're in your 30s and you're having kids for the first time, or late 20s, you're having children, you're, you're thinking about inheritance and legacy and legacy yeah. building. So I think it's a beautiful thing. Uh, it's difficult in, in a world that becomes full of silos in yeah. a culture that doesn't necessarily affirm a multi-generational reality of the way you look at the world. But here we are. Yeah. It, it's, it's like um, stacking building blocks. Building, you know, and, and and if there's anything I I know that I as I reflect on on leadership is that everything you do does that. I mean, you're just constantly building and building and building, and every decision you make is either building something uh, for the future, or it could be tearing it down uh, in, in the opposite way. And in our current context, that I, I know at the university level, you know, we're trying to teach students that the decisions they make now will determine the trajectory oh. of of their future. Uh, with that being said, what what advice would you give someone in in creating room for diversity for their own team and for developing future generations? Well, diversity is required in a twenty first century setting. It's it behooves us to make sure and make certain we push back against all vestiges of myopic or monochromatic sort of thinking. It's a diverse world. Yeah. And diversity, not in the spirit of, in our current national conversation, not in the spirit of some sort of political agenda that's affirming whatever thread may be the thread of the moment, but it just, it's kingdom. The kingdom is very diverse. It's the beauty of the 12 tribes, 12 disciples, the fact that on both ends of the scale, Old Testament, New Covenant, you have God saying, here it is, a diverse group of individuals 
a diverse group of tribes, diversity, constant, different personalities, right, right, different worldviews. Right. As a leader, God forbid, I don't want to surround myself with 11 or 12 other Samuel Rodriguez's. Yeah. That would be a scary world. Yeah. My wife would attest to that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a scary world. That's an OCE, coffee drinking, linear sequential, anal retentive, trekky evangelical world. The whole world would be that, and that would be a scary thing. So I want to surround myself with people that have a different way of thinking, right. a different way of coming to conclusions, in alignment with the core principles. There are absolutes we all sign off on. The wine, we all sign off on it. The wineskin must be as diverse as possible. Right. And I mean demographically diverse, uh, gender diverse, worldview diverse, even politically diverse. I don't want to be, I don't want to live in an echo chamber of mutual affirmation. Right. These silos are counterproductive. Sure. So the most effective, efficient, efficient leaders throughout the course of human history that have had a long-term viable trajectory, they have one common denominator. They selected a diverse group of individuals to speak into them and to help them lead. So diversity is not even a, a hope or an aspiration. It's a requirement to not just survive, but to thrive in 21st century leadership. What, what do you think keeps uh, leaders from surrounding themselves with people who think differently from them? Because it's easier to have this constant pat in the back. It's yeah. just easier. It's easy to surround yourself with people just like you. It's why challenge, why the hard right, work. Right. But the beauty of it, again, it's the measurable outcomes. Yeah. It's easy. It's easy to be in that echo chamber. It's easy to be surrounded in a very monolithic, monochromatic, myopic worldview. But the moment you expand and enlarge your tent, the beauty of diversity, the colors, and I say that metaphorically, the colors, the infusion of color and thought and ideas, it's just amazing. If you're committed to broadening your cognitive bandwidth, your Wi-Fi, if you're committed to exploring new ideas, different planes of, of not just wisdom, but applicable knowledge where we can change the world, diversity is required. And I mean in every single aspect, even social economic diversity. As a pastor, I want to make sure, I, I pastor a church and I lead an organization. As a pastor, our board is reflective of that idea. Or, sure. or we strive to be. And and I mean gender, race, economics. So I'm not the kind of pastor that will have on my board exclusively the entrepreneurs and the business owners, which is the typical standard evangelical church setting. I have in my on my board individuals who have struggled financially, hmm. individuals who have been through a process, individuals who who have a testimony, meaning they have they they have the exercise, they have good credit, but they know what it is to be impoverished, or they know what it is to come out of a very precarious financial circumstance. We need to have that sort of diversity in all that we do. Yeah. One one quick question before we take a commercial break: What is what is that? What is a, a practical step? Uh, that a leader can take to go outside of their echo chamber? The practical step is to first do a complete diagnosis of who speaks into you. Mm. Yeah. And look at the people. Are they the same sex, the same ethnicity, the same race, the same political worldview? Do a diagnosis. Yeah. A complete diagnostic and frame it. And yeah. look at your contact list. Yeah. Look at your favorite list on your iPhone. Yeah. And if it's all the same type of people, it's time for a change. Yeah. No, that's good. That's a actually that's a, a major piece of our our framing uh, our framework leadership here, southeastern. It's that constant audit context. You know, you brilliant understand and, and take an audit of what's going on and what's surrounding you constantly. Yeah, so so that's important. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Here's a word from our sponsors. 
If you're a driven professional striving to expand your leadership and pack change at any level of your organization, Southeastern University's online master's degree in leadership is definitely for you. This program provides you the opportunity to learn in the context of entrepreneurship, nonprofit leadership, research, or organizational leadership. You can apply today at seu.edu slash apply. That's seu.edu slash apply. Well, welcome back, everybody. In the next portion of our podcast today, I want to talk about the works in civil activism. And Sam, you were the first Latino to deliver the keynote address at the annual the Martin Luther King Jr. Commemorative Service. You have also been the recipient of the Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Leadership Award presented by the Congress of Racial Equality. Can you talk to me about what it means uh, to you to have been a recipient of, of these awards? Honored. Beyond the word honored, and it's not a rhetorical humility. It, it floors me. It is by the grace of God alone. But it's what drives me. It's this obsession to reconcile Billy Graham's message of Dr. King's march. Mm. That's my mandate on this planet, to reconcile Billy Graham's message of salvation exclusively through the vicarious atoning work of Jesus and Dr. King's march for justice. Yeah. This vertical and horizontal centerpiece of the cross. Psalm 89, 14, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Truth and love lead the way as attendants. That's Samuel Rodriguez's mission statement right there. Yeah. So it, it doesn't mean something. It means everything to me. Yeah. What, uh, what has this meant for relations between Latino and African-American communities? Oh, it's been amazing. I, I can tell you stories, the evolution of the relationship between Latinos and African-Americans historically, uh, back from the 1920s and 30s, well-documented, the, the formation of the Niagara Falls Convention, inevitably the NAACP, W.E.B. Du Bois. And, and then later on, in the 1960s, Cesar Chavez with Martin Luther King Jr., that's when the relationships formed. There was a bit of angst and tension back in the day. In the 1960s, how about this? There was tension even 10, 15 years ago. Mm. Every time the immigration issue came up, there were powers in America, in the political, social landscape that attempted to create a wedge, exploited the fact that there's African Americans here and Latinos here, and these individuals just attempted to create the narrative that immigrants were taking African American jobs. Mm. So I lived that. I saw the tension. Praise be God that not too many African-American leaders drank the Kool-Aid. Yeah. And they came along and said, Sam, we're not going to buy into this. And so I've seen the great, again, coming together of this uh, brown and black coalition, for lack of a better phrase, that is committed to righteousness and justice and racial equality across the board and, and addressing any and all vestiges of elements that are still in our systems. Because there are systemic elements that we can't deny. And it's not being political now. We can't deny them. There are elements of, of, of racism still embedded in some of our systems. Not across the board. No, you know, I'm, I'm not one to sign off to the idea America's racist. I don't think America's racist. Quite the contrary. I think America America's a beautiful idea. It's right, an experiment. Right. So I don't think America's racist. I think there are elements embedded in our systems that still exacerbate racism, and we have to address them in our generation. Yeah. How can the, um, the coming together of these two communities help our society as a whole? Oh, brilliant. Again, the, the African-American experience is unique. So I've on many occasions, even when I juxtapose the immigration issue with the African-American struggle, you can't 
we were we were never slaves. Uh, there's an issue of justice. There's an issue of the Imago Dei, recognizing right, the image right. of God. But I, I could, you know, I can't. When I spoke with uh, at Ebenezer Baptist Church, one of my first lines was, you know, I we can't say that we've been through what you've been through. We haven't. Right. Uh, but nevertheless, we are children of the same God, committed to the same righteousness and justice, by no objective. So it, it's. If African Americans and Latinos continue to work together, primarily in urban centers across America, but not exclusively, we're going to see a shift here, and I mean a radical shift. If we work together, we can address the eradication of poverty in America in our lifetime. That sounds utopic, right? Sure. But it's doable if we work together. If we share resources, if we come together under the canopy of Christ, if we don't negate the cross and the centrality of Christ, biblical orthodoxy, and if we don't embrace a worldview that negates the reality of the gift things of God and take personal responsibility while addressing systemic issues that have to be addressed, we can do this. Meaning, if black and brown come together with white, not in the name of a movement, but in the name of Christ, we can change America. We can do things, educationally speaking. I mean, this nation really can be a city on a hill, in the words of Ronald Reagan. This really can take place. How are we, how are we doing that now? What are, what are things that we're doing to do just that? Great convert, beyond conversations, great conversations that lead to partnerships, okay. that lead to measurable outcomes. And they begin with the church. They okay. truly do. They begin with pastors in cities across America establishing. And do you think the church is understanding this right now? I think the church is beginning to understand, to understand this. It. I think I saw this year, for the first time ever, pastors who would never address issues of injustice addressing these issues with integrity and love. See, I'm yeah. I'm a yeah. I am a I am actually optimistic. Yeah. I'm not the guy tweeting the church is the cause. No, we're not the cause. That's just silly. It's yeah. cognitively incoherent. Yeah. It's it just it doesn't right. make any sense. The church is the answer. Yeah. And I'm seeing some beautiful things emerging right. across right. the board. So I'm actually like, go get them. It's yeah. a new day indeed. But it requires all of us coming together. It yeah. really does. And we can do this. We can address many of, of the issues, the chaos, the discord, the social melees. The church has the answer. We have the prescription. But it requires white, black, brown, Asian coming together in Jesus' name and being strategic in every major area, be it Seattle, Portland, Minneapolis, Atlanta, whatever it may be. We can do this. It's doable. Throughout the the, the past several presidential administrations, uh, your voice has been influential, even in the highest office of the United States of America. You have been an advisor to the Bush, Obama, Trump administration. Uh, you're also frequently uh, consulting with Congress, advancing, you know, immigration, uh, which is a is a something that's in my heart, uh, and criminal justice reform as well as religious freedom. Talk talk about how these doors were opened and and what you're seeing with this influence with these with these leaders that are in in the position to to lead change. The doors opened. Here comes a term very strong on the evangelical spectrum. Supernaturally. Hmm. I, it's going to be hard. It is what it is. I'm a Lehigh University grad, so I'm a faith and science guy. I'm an evangelical Trekkie. I'm not weird, but I'm wired. Sure. I may preach like Kirk, but I think like Spock. Wow. Um, but it's supernaturally. I, I, had a, I, remember, I remember having dinner with Carl Rove at a restaurant, just Carl and I having dinner, and he looked at me and said, Sam, I, I looked at Carl and said, Carl, when in the world prompted you all to give me a call? And he went, Sam, I got your son number on us on a broken piece of paper that landed on my desk, and I picked up the phone and called. Wow. How, how does that happen? Right, right. So it was a supernatural thing. It really was. I've had the privilege of working with three presidents, and this is going to sound a bit different. I love all three of them. Mm-hmm. I do. 
uh, we're called to love. So what can I do but love? No, but I really do love each of them in their own right. They're all different. President Bush, President Obama, uh, President Trump, very different personalities. But working with each and every one of them on different issues, life, religious liberty, biblical justice, which includes immigration reform, right, right. educational equality, yes. prison reform. Even that prison reform legislation that was signed by Congress, that came out of a dinner conversation we had at the White House, mm. where we got we were seated in May of 2017, I, just a group of 20, and I sat right next to Jared and Ivanka. Jared goes, Pastor Sam, what's in your heart? And I went, is that a, like a dinner table conversation, what's in your heart? Or, or do yeah. you really mean it? Right. And he went, no, I kid you not, I really wanna know what's in your heart. And I went, I wanna bring people together, Jared. How do we do it, Sam? He says, I go, let's begin with justice reform. I'm a, I'm a reconciler. I said, let's bring the race, the ethnicities. Let's bring people together, please. And we brought about the prison reform. That conversation right there, inevitably, George Wood was there, Johnny Moore. It led to a piece of legislation. From a dinner conversation, it became law. Wow. That's what God does. Conversations that change the world. So, I, you know, it's a, it's a difficult time politically. The world is so, the nation is so polarized. And I just hope and pray that we have Christians that do not permit their political affiliation to cancel their prophetic witness. Yeah, that's powerful. Let me ask you this: what are what are some of the things having having had a chance to 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 get to know um, our presidents? What are some things that people don't really understand about those who serve in the office of the president? They are human beings. Mm. They are human beings that have weaknesses and strengths. I begin looking at each and every one of them through the lens of they are created in the image of God. So I'm going to respect them, honor them, love them, even when I disagree with them. And they have good days and bad days. They're just human beings. But the weight on their shoulders, literally for the free world, as it pertains to the American presidency, arguably the free world, it's pretty amazing. It's overbearing. I've been there with all three. I've seen them on good days, each of them. And I've seen them on bad days. I, I won't mention for ethical purposes and because I can't. I've been there when I've seen some, some of them lose it. And not with me, but with other people around me where they just verbally and not, and not in a You saw not this mean-spirited, terrible human being, but rather this leader under pressure mm. that if the world would understand the amount of pressure on a daily basis, geopolitical realities, terrorist threats, they're not even privy to the daily briefings. And then we would gain greater respect for the office, for the office. I even look beyond, and I I pray for the individuals, I I pray for the personalities, but when I look at the presidency, I look at policies. I don't negate the personality, but I look at policy. And to to me, policy does trump, no pun intended, the personality. And I look at actions and deliverables. And because those are the things that will transcend their administration, what they sign into law, their executive decrees. These are the things that impact what we do on a daily basis. So that's the way I see it. My wife and I have this joke. I walk into Washington. I pray. I speak. I I share whatever God has placed in my heart. I usually, there are times I don't say anything intentionally because sure. I don't want to be that guy right and I usually speak last which is my rule of thought as a leader don't speak first don't be that guy don't be that person just don't if God wants me to say something the way that I have it me and the Holy Spirit and I have this agreement if you want me to say something have them ask me to say something have them invite me if there's not an invitation I'm not going to be presumptuous so it's happened, and then I walk out, get my Starbucks, and leave. Yeah. I don't want to hang around the, sure. the DC exactly. because yeah. the atmosphere right. is coercive <laughs> exactly. and manipulative, and it sucks uh, you in. It does. It's scary. Yeah. Uh, 
<laughs> so good. Hey, one last question before we kind of move into a fire round of uh, practical wisdom here. Uh, you were the first Latino evangelical to participate in a presidential inauguration ceremony on January 20th, uh, 2017, uh, with over 1 billion people watching. And you delivered a prayer out of, uh, I'll never forget, you delivered it out of Matthew chapter 5. And you concluded by saying, in Jesus' name. And this was a bold stand on one of the greatest stages in the world. Can you tell us what it was like to stand on that platform and deliver that prayer? And, and what did you learn about yourself in all of that? That I am completely 150% dependent on God. It was the scariest moment of my life. Wow. Oh, goodness, I was trembling. Ten minutes prior to getting on that stage, I, my, my body was going through a complete <laughs> it was just, whoa, this is, this is absolutely absurd. About 10 minutes right beforehand, we had everyone praying. I calmed down. I mean, it wasn't me. It was just, it was just a God thing. I said, Sam, I got this. And, and I remember just fighting with God. It was the first time that the phrase, in the name of Jesus, was used for 11 years there. Wow. So it was, it's been over a decade. And I was told by the powers that be, don't say it. Not the administration, not the incoming, but certain political operatives in D.C., and certain periodicals whose names you would recognize, reporters who were friends, said, Sam, please don't. If you use that name, you alienate those that don't believe in it. And you're going to become that guy. You're going to become like this, this like fire fundamentalist guy. And I just didn't even think about it twice. It, it was natural. Right. How can I pray Not, in any right. other name? Yeah. So it changed my life to a great degree that moment. It was one of the, these tipping points that enabled us to have influence in other spheres, the movie deals, all of that, because we wouldn't sacrifice truth on the altar of political expediency. Yeah. And, and I just, for the sake of my kids and my grandkids, I just wanted them to say, here we are, shining light in the midst of darkness, speaking about unity and the love and the truth of God. Be light. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. So it was a moment indeed. My prayers, I won't be the last one. I want to be an open door for other Latinos and others to likewise participate on these platforms that enable us to convey the message of Jesus around the world. Ah, so good. As we move into this fire round and close close our conversation, which has been been fascinating, I want to thank you for the time that you've given. I, I want us to provide some more practical application to this conversation. We've spent some time talking about what it takes to be a leader that I think champions um, true diversity. And, and now let's put that into practice for our listeners. So I want to give a, a, what I have sensed as a practical application, then I want you to give a, a couple of applications as well. Here's, here's one thing that I, I think about in this issue, and especially listening to you, is, is that what you were saying earlier in the show is, is how important it is to be inclusive. There is no doubt about that. If we exclude the people around us, we tend to miss out on learning from their gifts and their experiences and their perspectives. And as leaders, we have to, there's no doubt, we have to accept and appreciate that diversity where, wherever it may come from. Uh, so, so Sam, what would you say is something leaders can do to be, a, again, a champion of diversity? A couple of practical things that you think right now, step out, do this, and, and see some great Results. Number one, evaluate yourself. Do a complete diagnostic. Do the audit. Execute an audit as it pertains to who are those speaking into you, who are those surrounding you, who are your key reports. Do a complete audit, a diagnostic. And if you and if it's monochromatic, if it's if it's a monolithic group of way of thinking, looks, gender, you name it, even ideas, then immediately make the necessary changes. Yeah. That's the first thing you need to do. Let me ask you this: What are what are some questions um, 
uh, in a practical way, what are some questions that leaders can ask themselves while doing this kind of audit, if you will, um, in stepping into this role of leading diversity? Are the people around me pushing me towards the fulfillment of our vision and mission? Are they reflective of the communities that we need to reach, that we want to reach? And the community should not be just a local community. It's global. It's your local. And now, as we have all discovered through COVID, it's a digital world, right? So it's a global community, likewise. Are the individual around, around me, it's a Jim Collins question, good to great, right? Built to last. Are these the right people that I need on the bus? Yeah. And, and ask that question constantly. It's not just on an annual or three-year, the five-year strategic plan sort of meeting. Yeah. It's not the annual retreat meeting. It's right. the, the constant query of, are these the right people around me? You are who surrounds you. And in leadership, that is so incredibly critical for us yeah. to understand. And when, with that commitment being made, don't overextend yourself to this broad group of individuals that you can never in a viable way mentor or equip. Provide the necessary resources, inspire them, inform them, and impart. So you need to become a primary conduit of inspiration, information, and impartation to, to the key leaders around you that will help you drive this ministry, this corporation, this vision into fulfillment mode. Yeah. These are some of the things that we do. The, uh, the best way I could do it as a pastor and a preacher would be First Kings nineteen nineteen. Elijah saw Elisha pushing the plow. Yeah. So I never in my leadership world ever select anyone who has never pushed a plow. I never put a mantle upon anyone who refuses to push the plow. Sure. If you're not pushing the plow, don't expect the mantle. Yeah. If you can't push the plow, do not expect the mantle. And then the beautiful thing about Elijah and Elisha is he puts the, he places a mantle upon him. Elisha, as you will know, uh, you know, lets go of the plow and, and follows Elijah. But then Elijah gets the mantle back. Yeah, it was a temporary little thing. Right for right, yeah, just for a little season. And then follow me to Gilgal, follow me to Bethel, follow me to Jericho, follow me to the Jordan. Then inevitably, if you see, keep your eyes on me, then you're going to get it permanently. We need to do that. Have our leaders trust them enough with a short season of this is what leadership looks like. Yeah. What about that? Good. Now let me have it back. Let's go into deep training and equipping. And again, the diversity component of being different so you can do greater things. Exactly. And, and I mean, we both know how, what joy it is to identify the right people like that to empower it's the moment of to come alongside the people who God has called us to identify with and and reach out and 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 then together um, and I and I love your commitment to um, justice oh, yeah, and yeah. and to righteousness and and to identify and then just come together and stand up against the wrongdoings and fight for those who can't fight for themselves and and I mean that's Proverbs thirty one I mean that's so. So powerful and so important. What about just empathy? Yeah. Because I get some of my pastor friends who go, I don't line up with this. I think it's a false narrative. I think this is hype. I think this is a lie. I think, And my response is, wait, regardless of what you may think, empathy. Right. At least the minimum that you're supposed to convey as a leader is, I feel your pain. Not in the old Bill Clinton sort of adage, but I really truly as a Christian mourn with those that mourn. Yeah. Rejoice with those that rejoice. Weep with those that weep. That's our biblical clarion call. So empathy, at least. And that's how we change the world. Yeah. Diverse leadership that's committed to righteousness and justice, truth yeah. and love. That's a movement right there that can change the world, my friend. Wow. And I could talk all night. I do have one one final thing. What, what would be a word? I mean, we're heading into um, a major decision 
coming up here in just a few weeks. Yeah. Um, what is a word you can give our nation who need, they need to be encouraged? What is that word for them? There is a sovereign God and it's, that is on the throne. There is a God who sees everything. And, and we understand our political process. We understand elections have consequences. Indeed. With that being said, the donkey and the elephant can never achieve what the lamb already achieved for us on the cross. Yeah. You vote. So my, my, my exhortation would be pray fast, love those that do not vote like you, pray again, and then vote. Yeah. But please do not permit the donkey and the elephant to divide what the lamb died for. Wow. So good. Well, Sam, I want to thank you for joining me today on, on Framework Leadership. I'm thankful for your insight. Um, for your wisdom, your spiritual guidance, um, especially as it relates to diversity and leadership. For all of our listeners, I hope that you leave this conversation with a better understanding of how to become a leader uh, and a leader who becomes better in a diverse world. And if you want to stay connected with uh, Sam Rodriguez, you can follow him on on uh, social media, Pastor Samuel Rodriguez, I believe it is. Mm -hmm. uh, check out his website at pastorsam.com and his self-titled podcast. Uh, so grateful for you joining us today. See you next time on Framework Leadership. <laughs>